thanks for um, inviting me. And it's, it's a privilege to be here tonight. I do regularly attend the different drummers meeting on Saturday mornings, and I um, try to attend another meeting. Um, and I have never been at this one before. So it's nice to see all of you. Since about age 12, I've been addicted to food. And since age 16, I've been an atheist. Those two facts about me converged in February 2022 when I found secular overeaters online. Some people view atheism as dry, barren, and scary, as if it were an absence of belief or meaning. Uh, but much to the contrary, I have deep and very rich beliefs that I cherish, believe in the beauty and magnificence of nature, the power of compassion and grace, and human kindness, the ability of people to transcend hardship and to, and to transform challenging behavior into more positive existence. I believe in the precious power of love. Where some people might visualize a higher power, I see all the people who have loved and supported me over the course of my life. I see the people who have rescued me when I was at low points. And having firm and loving attachments has enabled me to build an inner power. And that inner power manages how I view myself, um, how I interact with other people, and how I feed and nurture myself. I'll back up a bit and talk about my evolution as a food addict. Food was always plentiful in my childhood home. It was a great source of comfort and entertainment. My parents had grown up during the Great Depression, and they took a lot of pride in being able to put solid meals on the table, because when they were young, they did not have that. I loved to cook and bake with my mom, my grandmothers, my aunts. Um, Mealtimes in our nuclear household, however, my parents and my brother and me, were frequently tense. Um, my parents argued continuously, and for some warped reason, they chose to do so at the dinner table. So I developed the habit of just kind of tucking my chin down and stuffing food into my mouth. While well, the angry voices boomed over my head. This is really, that was the climate of my childhood. Um, our family of four, as well as our extended families tend to eat large portions, tend to be very sedentary and carry extra weight. And by the time my brother and I reached middle school, um, we were both chubby. My earliest memory of compulsive eating actually dates to August 1966. It is a memorable date, and you'll see why in a minute. I was spending a few weeks with my grandparents in Cleveland, Ohio, and I used to uh, babysit for the three young children across the street. Uh, the mom, Marianne, was a housekeeper, homemaker. The dad was a motorcycle policeman with the Cleveland police. And the Beatles were coming to town for their second appearance in Cleveland. And Bob, the motorcycle policeman, was assigned to escort their motorcade. So Marianne got a free ticket to the concert. She invited me to babysit for the kids. And she asked me to make grilled cheese sandwiches for dinner. So I got out the block of Velveeta and I got out the Wonder Bread. Actually, she left them out on the counter. I cooked up one sandwich for each of the children, one for myself. Then the children went off to play. They made a second sandwich. And then I thought, oh my gosh, this tastes so good. It was the crunch. It was the ooze. It was the salt. I made a third sandwich. But as I was finishing up and cleaning up the kitchen, it dawned on me 
how much of their food I had actually consumed. There was almost nothing left of the block of Velveeta. And Marianne probably expected that to last at least another meal for her family. So I still blush with embarrassment at my gluttony. The memory of overeating uh, followed by shame is still very fresh. And I could offer so many more instances in which I overfed myself, not because I was hungry, but because the food tasted good or because it comforted me, because it distracted me. Long before I understood the concept of food addiction, I was feeding my needs with flour, sugar, and ultra-processed food. And even worse, I wasn't only feeding myself. Starting in my early 30s, I took cooking classes that gave me confidence as a cook and baker, and I enjoyed serving food to other people. I used all the entreaties. Oh, but I made it just for you. Or, oh, you're on vacation. Or, oh, you know, just one little taste won't hurt. And only decades later did I realize that that was all about seeking approval and praise for myself. I was pushing food on people. I dressed it up as taking care of them, but I was actually a pusher. In my work as an editor, uh, I've copy edited dozens of cookbooks over the years, which kept me firmly anchored in a sea of food images. For 30 or 40 hours a week, I edited manuscripts describing the sight, the texture, the aroma, the taste of ingredients, and extolling the finished dish. I had a fully stocked kitchen and pantry, and I often cooked or baked recipes from the manuscripts I was working on. Uh, attending book launches and author events solidified my justification that I had to support the food industry. I had to support the cookbook industry, um, the food world that I worked in. And for several years in my 40s and 50s, I even helped to run a cookbook club where we met every month. We cooked recipes from a particular cookbook. We all brought it into a bookstore and we all shared it. But we weren't sharing kale and quinoa salads. We were sharing really high quality, um, high quality foods laden with sugar, flour, and added fats. And at that point, I was really riding a river of permission giving thoughts. I didn't always stuff myself during those decades. At age 30, after a really bad breakup, I, I basically stopped eating out of despair and I became dangerously thin for a time. Then when I met my husband and got married, I was at a healthy weight and happiness plus some wonderful life adventures uh, helped me maintain that for about 12 years. Then significant stresses related to parenthood and emerging depression led me to really eat in earnest. And by my mid fifties, I'd reached my all time high weight. My doctor at the time was concerned because of my family history of diabetes and heart problems. So I worked for a few months with a psychologist who specialized in weight management and he shared many excellent tools and concepts with me but the student was not ready for the teacher. I listened and I nodded every week. I lost about 10 pounds but eventually I stopped seeing him partly because I was, not, uh, I was not complying with his suggestions and the recession of 27, 2008 hit and I couldn't justify the cost when I wasn't working the program. Um, recently I did email him and I told him the changes that I have subsequently been able to make and I thanked him very much for the foundation he'd laid and for all the tools he had given me. And it was really nice to be in touch again. 
So basically from 2008 to 2021, my weight yo-yoed. I tried Weight Watchers. I tried South Beach. I lost 20 pounds to be able to fit into a wedding dress. And then I gained it right back. I ate in secret thinking no one would know. But of course, everyone could see the effects on my body. I had to buy bigger and bigger clothes. My health numbers of my annual physicals were going up and up. I was falling into food comas every afternoon because I'd eat too much sugar and I'd nap for an hour or more, which meant that I couldn't get a solid sleep at night. I lived the perpetual cycle of overeating and self-loathing. My elderly parents implored me several times to get help to lose weight because I was at risk for the family health issues, but their entreaties drove me to eat even more. Literally, I would get in the car and drive to the nearest bakery or bagel shop or you name it, whatever food source I could find, and I would eat my feelings. I didn't realize I had an addiction until I was in my early 60s, and the personal trainer I was working with very gently planted the seed. And for a few years after that, I walked around just kind of chortling to people, and oh, ha-ha, I'm a food addict, can't do anything about that. And um, I just was not getting it. So Gabor Mate, who I'm sure a lot of you have heard about, um, defines addiction as first, craving the addictive substance or behavior. Second, engaging in the addictive substance or behavior in order to experience pleasure or temporary relief from some kind of pain. And finally, the inability to give the substance or behavior up. I was living all three parts of the definition and I was laughing about it. Fast forward to January, 2021, when I was trying to help a family member navigate an alcohol addiction. Each time I left his home, I would drive directly to a store and load up on comfort food for myself. I'd stuff myself in the car and I'd throw out the evidence before I reached home. The voice in my head was saying, this really hurts, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. So I was perpetuating the cycle. But one afternoon, the thought hit me, I can't be authentic helping him with his addiction if I'm not addressing my own addiction. My weight was approaching my all-time high again, and my A1C and other health markers had increased. So I spoke up and I told my doctor here in Phoenix that I was really unhappy about my weight and my food behavior. His response was, we can help you with that. And my ears perked up. The first round was auricular acupuncture, auricular in the ears. This doctor who practices regular medicine is also well-versed in integrative medicine. And he was well-trained in acupuncture. So he punctured little needles into my earlobes once a month for five months. And by gosh, they really helped me stay aware of my hand-to-mouth action and stick to a food plan. We live in an area in the Phoenix Valley where you have to drive a good distance to find good quality food. So I was able to curb my outings and focus on planned healthy eating. And I lost 20 pounds. I can't really explain how the acupuncture was working, but I think it was mainly emotional. It was the fact that the doctor cared. It was the physical pressure of him punching those little needles in that really made me feel heard and gave me a measure of confidence and power. Still, my primary tool at that point was willpower. And we know that willpower is finite. 
Unfortunately, when we returned to the Chicago area for the summer months, I couldn't find a licensed medical practitioner to do the acupuncture. Plus, I was once again living within seven bakeries or cafes, within walking distance of seven bakeries or cafes. So guess how I spent my time? My willpower broke down. I returned to regular binging and the pounds loaded right back on. So the following January, I saw my doctor in Phoenix again. And this time he suggested I address my compulsive overeating by taking a medication that would gently curb my cravings. I started it a few days later and I have to say it immediately stopped my cravings. I realized on the second or third day that when the garage door went down indicating my husband had left the house, my brain didn't tell me to jump up and run to my stash for food. Instead, my brain actually said, huh, I don't want to grab food right now. This is a good thing. So I started building on that. I took the medication for six months and I feel it truly allowed my brain to heal. I was able to break my old food habits and build new habits that serve me really well. At the same time my doctor prescribed the medication, he suggested I seek a support group, which was really brilliant of him. I attended several OA meetings, but the God language did prove to be a barrier to my participation. My belief system and conscience wouldn't allow me to surrender my agency in the recovery process, which is what I heard people telling me I needed to do. I also found the rules on what materials could be read or even mentioned at meetings to be very restrictive because I was drawn to scientific studies and science-based resources that examined the chemical, psychological, and emotional aspects of eating. I wanted to read books like Dopamine Nation and Food Junkies and In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts and discuss them with other people. One day while searching online for resources for that family member dealing with alcoholism, I stumbled across secular AA and a light bulb went off because I thought, well, if there's secular AA, maybe there's secular OA. So I typed in the words and up came secular overeaters. So if I believed in a God, I'd say it was a godsend. It truly has changed my life. The fact that SO offers open-minded inquiry and embraces many solid alternatives to traditional resources has given me a wealth of information to choose from in pursuing my recovery. At the first SO meeting I attended, a participant mentioned that she had been abstinent from sugar and flour for three years. And my first response was, oh, I could never do that. But over the next few days, I thought to myself, maybe I could do that. Sugar and flour are obviously toxic for me. Maybe I can put them down and not put, pick them up again. And by the next, the time the next meeting rolled around, I'd made my decision. I embraced abstinence. The longer I've kept the sugar and flour out of my body, the easier it has become to function without them and the better my body feels. And Janet, now, yeah. Sorry to just interrupt you, but you're at five minutes left. Ah, okay. Okay. Now, after one year and 291 days, my abstinence has evolved into a state of sobriety. So how do I work a program? What program do I work? Well, it's very individual, individual. Um, while I respect that the sponsor-sponsee relationship has benefited millions of addicts, I've never had a sponsor and I haven't felt the need for one. I've received the knowledge and support I need through the SO meetings and smaller 
support forums that I attend, including two, excuse me, recovery circles and an accountability um, partnership. I respect the, two, the 12 step process, even though I don't consider myself to be a 12 stepper. Um, thanks to the Secular Road Readers monthly discussion of alternative 12 steps, I, I read and worked through Jeffrey Munn's um, Staying Sober Without God and Serge Pringle's um, Proactive 12 Steps. And I've learned a tremendous amount from both of those. My mind has really expanded through those tools. And as I said, I've found my inner power. I've been able to take control. I'm in charge of what food goes into my body. I make choices every day and I'm responsible for my own well-being. The sense of responsibility keeps me mindful and intentional, not only about indeed, uh, eating, but about many areas of my life. My meal plan is pretty simple. Three meals a day composed of foods that are healthy for me, what I like to call clean and green plus an afternoon snack of one quarter cup of roasted nuts. If I feel true hunger pangs, nuts are the only food that I measure. I'm pretty much able to judge what constitutes a healthy portion for me. Um, I rarely drink alcohol, even though I don't have a problem with alcohol, I don't want the sugar it contains. Um, and I just have to say, food tastes much, much better than it ever used to because my palate is so much cleaner now. At restaurants, I choose the greenest dish on the menu. And the way I think of it is a no to the harmful food is a yes to me. Thanks to choosing wisely, I get to walk away from meals feeling nicely fed, feeling nourished and buoyant. And a few hours after eating, I get that lovely feeling of slight emptiness in my stomach, which tells me I ate just the right amount and my body will be receptive when it's time for the next meal. I wake up feeling slightly hollowed out and mildly hungry. I do weigh myself every day, which keeps me accountable and gives me a really nice pat on the back to start the day. Uh, in my professional life, I do still copy edit the occasional cookbook, but a few years ago, I turned consciously to, to fiction and nonfiction and poetry, which have a much lower calorie count. And that's a lot better for my psyche. So I don't feel that I've given anything up. Instead, I feel that I've embraced a new way of living and the metaphor of the path is very useful for me. My path used to be very rocky. And then for a time, I felt like I was stepping from stone to stone, uh, one stone to another over a rushing stream at risk of falling in. And now my path feels really smooth. Of course, life will throw lots of challenges in the way but I'm stronger and more able to handle them because my personal relationship with food is now serene. I faced reality. I'll be 70 tomorrow and I'm healthier than I've been since my teens. I finally feel free. Thank you very much.